morning. Glad that you're here. Glad that you can hear me. If you are a guest of ours, as usual, we are certainly honored that you chose to be with us today and hope you feel right at home. Glad that you're here to worship God with us here at Bay Area this morning. I want to start by telling you a story that I heard. It's a story about a fellow who's at a party. Uh, Jimmy's going to appreciate this. He's wearing a uh, Florida Gator jersey. And he walks up to another guy and says, hey, you want to hear a really good joke about the Florida State Seminoles? And the other fellow says, well, before you tell me that joke, there's a couple of things you need to know. And he stood up and he said, I'm six foot four. I weigh 240 pounds. I used to play linebacker at Florida State. And another fellow stood up and said, this is my buddy. He's 6'8". He's 280. He used to play defensive end at Florida State. Another fellow stood up and goes, this is my other friend. He's 6'1", 320. He used to play offensive guard at Florida State. Now, are you sure you want to tell me that joke? The guy wearing the Gator jersey looked at those three huge guys and said, nah, I don't feel like explaining it three times. <laughs> now, wait a minute. Wait a minute. No, no, no. No, wait. Wait a minute. Before you Florida State fans, before Ronde and IT start throwing things at me, it's just a joke. Now, I spent some time in Tallahassee, and I want you to know that I'd tell those same jokes, and I'd just switch the punchline in the teams. So I am very much an equal opportunity offender. But I tell you that, I begin with that this morning, to kind of bring us to the mind thought of, you know, we kind of like to think that we're the smartest person in the room, don't we? We sort of like to think that we see things that other people don't see. And we know things that other people don't know. And we kind of understand things on a level that you know, a lot of people don't get. And that's not exactly the case, but that's kind of what we, what we try to tell ourselves. You know, this morning we're wrapping up this sermon series, Looking Out My Back Door. And I've got to tell you, only one person came to me and made any reference to Creedence Clearwater Revival. And I'm a little bit disappointed by that. But, but anyhow, we've been talking about doing good right outside our back door. And this month we have challenged you to look around for ways and places that we can do good right outside our back door, right here in our community. And a couple of weeks ago we challenged you to help with the Grant Park Christian Academy. We thought maybe we could supply some back-to-school things for that, uh, for that effort and that ministry. And we challenged you to pick up a bag and maybe put some school supplies in it. And if you have not, in the last 15 minutes, gone by the hallway out here, um, I am so impressed with what uh, this family has done and, and the way that you have responded in that. And of course, we also just took up a contribution, and part of that is going to go help that school as well in that ministry. So thank you uh, for that. But of course, this idea of doing things and serving others in our community isn't meant to be confined to a, you know, a couple-week sermon series or a one-time contribution. God is always giving us opportunities to, to do good and to, to glorify Him in our actions right outside our back door. And we start thinking about that, especially on spiritual terms. You know, when you talk to someone who you know has a pretty strong walk with God, when you talk to someone that you know has been working in the vineyard for a pretty long time, you start having a conversation with that person, they will, they will invariably tell you that there are times 
looking back on their spiritual story, that they did things that they weren't comfortable doing. And they will tell you that there are times when they got outside of their comfort zone. And maybe they didn't feel prepared, and maybe they didn't feel uh, equipped, but they got outside of their comfort zone and they served someone. And they did somewhat, something for someone else. And they will tell you, you know, I was really scared about that. And, and I really felt like I was inadequate in trying to do that for someone else. And I thought, maybe I'll make a fool of myself. And yet, they will tell you that they just felt like they were drawn to it. They will tell you that this, God placed something on their heart. You know, we, we kind of hesitate to use that kind of language sometimes, but they're just, I don't know how else to describe it. You know, God was nudging me to do something. And I didn't feel prepared, and I didn't feel equipped, or all those things, but, but you know, I, I stepped out and I did it. As uncomfortable as it was. And they will tell you, looking back on their lives, those were the times when God strengthened my faith more than any other times, really. When I did something that I was really nervous about doing, when I did something that I was I really had to convince myself to step out on faith and attempt. And they'll tell you those are the times that my faith was strengthened. And those are the times that I feel like God was, was using me and strengthening me. So today I want to talk a little bit about that dynamic, that tension that we feel. Call it fear if you want. When we see a need, we see a family, we see an individual, we see some ministry, that there's obviously some things that need to be done there. There's opportunities to serve. And then we feel this tension of, I think God wants me to get involved. And I don't know exactly how to verbalize that. I don't know exactly how to describe what I'm feeling, but I just feel like God is, is kind of nudging me in that direction. So I want to talk about that. And by the way, this tug of war that goes on in our minds and our hearts, it's not just about helping someone else. It's about my spiritual growth. It's about God strengthening uh, my faith as well. Because God uses situations where we get outside of our comfort zone, where we get outside of our skill set, where we get outside of our experience level and attempt some things that, that maybe we can... Uh, you know, make, make us a little bit uncomfortable. And one of the best examples of this in the Bible is also one of the best-known stories in Scripture. So go ahead and open up your Bible to Matthew chapter 14. We're going to stay right in Matthew chapter 14. You're going to have to open up to any other place. In fact, when you get to Matthew chapter 14, you're going to look at it and say, oh yeah, I know this story. Oh, I've heard a lot of sermons on this passage. I've sat through a lot of classes. I've heard it all. Wake me up when he's finished. But in the middle of this very familiar story, there's a conversation that Jesus has with the disciples that I think describes in a really powerful way this issue that we all wrestle with. This, as it relates to getting outside of our comfort zone and serving others in a way that might make us a little bit uncomfortable. So we're just going to read through this story. And we're going to stop fairly often and make some observations as we go, share some thoughts. Matthew chapter 14, we're going to pick it up in verse 13. Matthew 14, verse 13. When Jesus heard what had happened, he withdrew by boat privately to a solitary place. Now what Jesus had heard has happened is the death of John the Baptist. Jesus loved John the Baptist. John was Jesus' cousin. And Jesus has learned that John has just been killed. Uh, Herod had him put to death. 
Herod had married his sister, and John was preaching very uh, uh, loudly and often about the, the immorality and the illegalness of that marriage. So Herod and his wife get a little bit tired of being a bullet point in John the Baptist's sermons. So Herod has John arrested, put in prison, and eventually beheaded. Jesus learns of the death of his cousin. Again, Jesus loves John the Baptist, and Jesus wants to mourn the death of John the Baptist. When Jesus heard what had happened, he withdrew by boat privately to a solitary place. Hearing of this, the crowds followed him on foot from the towns. So the crowd hears that Jesus is trying to get away by himself. He's gone across the lake. Well, the crowd just walks around the lake. And the crowd catches up with Jesus. Jesus, we know that you're mourning. We know that you want to be alone, but we want, we want, we want. And we need, we need, we need. So the crowd catches up with Jesus. Verse 14. When Jesus landed and saw a large crowd, he had compassion on them and healed their sick. As evening approached, the disciples came to him and said, This is a remote place. It's already getting late. Send the crowds away so they can go to the villages and buy themselves some food. So the crowd walks half a day to catch up with Jesus. And I love how the Bible just makes comments sometimes and keeps moving. Jesus saw the crowd, had compassion on them, and healed them. Like it's really no big deal. It's a pretty big deal. Jesus sees this crowd, he has compassion on them in his own grief, and he heals them. Pretty big deal. And then the disciples come to Jesus. And the disciples say, hey, we're kind of in the middle of nowhere here. And it's getting late. It's been a long day. I'm sure everyone's tired. I'm sure they're hungry. We need to send them away so they can find some food. And I've got to wonder if maybe the disciples weren't thinking, we're kind of hungry. Jesus, let's wrap up the meeting here. Let's go ahead and send everyone away so they can get something to eat. Now, this is where the story gets really, really good as it begins to pertain to you and me. Verse 16, Jesus replied, They do not need to go away. You give them something to eat. They're in the middle of nowhere. Jesus says, I get it. I understand. It's been a long day. We're a long way from towns. Everybody's hungry. Everybody's tired. I get it. But they don't need to go anywhere. You give them something to eat. You feed them. Now, this is the tension that I'm talking about. You see a need. You see some place that, that people need served. And you start feeling, I think God wants me to do something about it. And by the way, if you've never felt that before, if you've never felt that tug of war in your heart, you're not paying close enough attention. Because I think there's always situations where, where there's things going on around us. And if we're paying attention, I think God's saying, I want you to do something about that. There's a need. There's someone who's hurting. There's someone who's hungry. There's someone who has a need. I want you to take care of it. Maybe your default reaction to those kind of situations is a little bit like too often my default reaction is to those kinds of situations. Oh, no, 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 God, no. I don't want to take care of the need. I'm going to pray that the need takes, gets taken care of. That's what I do. 
I'm going to pray that someone will do something. I'm going to pray that someone will come and meet that need. I'm going to pray that someone will come and, and teach that class or, or you know, do that thing or, or you know, write that check. I'm a prayer warrior. That's what I do, God. And I'm not diminishing the, the, the need for prayer. I hope you know me well enough to know that. But I think sometimes God says, you know what, I want you to do something. I want you to get involved. And we start thinking, hmm, but I don't want to do that. We start coming up with all the reasons why there are so many people who are better qualified to do that than I am. There are so many people who are more talented. You know, all those young people, they have all the energy. All those old people, they have all the time. Now, all these reasons why we aren't the ones to get involved and do something. And of course, the disciples do exactly what we do. They start making excuses. You know, we, when we do it, sometimes we just ignore the, the need. It's pretty hard for the disciples to ignore it because Jesus is standing right in front of them. They've got to make some kind of response. So they make an excuse, which, you know, when I read it, it sounds like a reason. I think Jesus heard it as more of an excuse. Verse 17. We have here only five loaves of bread and two fish, they answered. We can't do it. We're not prepared. We're not equipped. Jesus, you got the wrong guys. We can't do it. Verse 18. Bring them here to me, he said. And they're probably thinking, I knew he was going to say something like that. I knew he was about to do something. And so what Jesus is telling these men, and I think what Jesus is telling us is, just bring me what you have. You don't have enough? Just bring me what you have. Well, I'm not smart enough. I didn't even finish high school. Just bring me the education you have. I don't know enough Bible. My, my Old Testament's still stuck together. You know, I haven't read that part. Just bring me what you know. They're going to ask questions that I can't answer. Just bring me the answers you do know. I don't have enough time. Just bring me the time you have. I don't have enough experience. Just bring me the experience you have. Just bring me what you have. And so they do. Verse 19. And he directed the people to sit down on the grass, taking the five loaves and the two fish, and looking up to heaven, he gave thanks and broke the loaves. Then he gave them to the disciples. Now think about this. You bring Jesus what you have, which isn't very much. If I'm the disciples and you're Jesus, I bring what I have, a couple of fish, a couple of loaves of bread, and I give it to you, Jesus. What do you give back to me? Fish and loaves, right? You've just given back to me exactly what I gave to you. Uh, thank you. Now, is this for me? Are, are they still back there? Have they all gone home? No, what, what, what am I supposed to do with this? I give it to you, you give it to me. Listen, this is kind of the big point of the whole lesson here. Those disciples, they did what they knew how to do. And really that's all they did. Because that's all they could do. They did what they knew how to do. They didn't know how to feed 5,000 people with a handful of food. But you know what they knew how to do? 
They knew how to turn around and share what they'd been given. They knew how to turn around and hand to someone what Jesus had just handed to them. So those men did what they knew how to do. Look how it's worded. Then he gave them to the disciples, and the disciples gave them to the people. They did what they knew how to do, trusting that Jesus was going to do something extraordinary. They did what they knew how to do, trusting that Jesus was going to do something that only he knew how to do. They did what they knew how to do, trusting that God was going to do what only God knew how to do. Now, when you feel that, that inside you, that internal nudging, well, somebody should volunteer. Somebody should sign up. Somebody should help. Somebody should give. Somebody should teach. Somebody should serve. Somebody should do something. When you feel that tug at your heart, and you've got all the excuses in the world why it shouldn't be you. I don't have the time. I don't have the energy. I don't have the expertise. Your responsibility, my responsibility, is simply to do what we know how to do and trust God to do what He knows how to do. It's not about fear. It's not about guilt. It's not about you know, responsibility or duty. It's not about, well, I've got to you know, complete uh, three service projects this quarter. It's about doing what we know how to do and trusting God to do what only he can do. The story continues. Verse 20. They all ate and were satisfied, and the disciples picked up 12 basketfuls of broken pieces that were left over. The number of those who ate was about 5,000 men besides women and children. And it's interesting. The disciples do not walk away from this whole event going, did you see that? We ought to go into the catering business. We could do this every Saturday afternoon. We can make a lot of money. The disciples don't walk away going, that was amazing because we are amazing. The disciples walk away going, that's amazing because Jesus is amazing. They understand that was Jesus' miracle. Yes, we had a very small, minuscule part. Now, we did what we know how to do, but we could not have fed those people with that food. That was all Jesus. Now, you all know that Jesus doesn't just perform miracles for the sake of performing miracles. Jesus didn't sit around and say, well, what can I do next? I'll feed a bunch of people. Now, Jesus performed miracles for reasons, to help people for sure, to, to confirm himself for sure. But also, Jesus is the master teacher. And I think Jesus is always teaching, because Jesus knows this, this, the story. Jesus knows how this whole thing is going to play out. Jesus knows that before long, he's going to turn this whole thing over to this group of men. And it very well might all fall apart if their faith isn't strong enough. And if their confidence in God isn't strong enough. So. He's trying to teach these men something. And this is the first part of the lesson. It's kind of the introduction to the lesson. The next story is the application to the lesson. This, this teaching is about to get very real very quickly. Look at the next verse, verse 22. Immediately, which is an important word. What does immediately mean? Right now, right next. Immediately. 
we, we, we'd like to separate these two stories that we're going to talk about. We talk about one, we talk about another. I think they're connected. Immediately, Jesus made the disciples get into the boat and go on ahead of him to the other side while he dismissed the crowd, which again, I think would be fascinating. While Jesus dismissed the crowd, they walk half a day to find Jesus. He has compassion on them. He heals them. He feeds them. And then he says, go home. And I've got to think, a lot of those people in the crowd were going, um, we're going to hang out with you for a while. Now we've been fed, we've been healed. No, this is working pretty good for us. We're going to hang out with you, Jesus. But somehow Jesus dismisses the crowd. And then he goes up on a mountainside alone to pray, which remember he, he began this whole thing by trying to get alone. Verse 23, after he had dismissed them, he went up on a mountainside by himself to pray. When evening came, he was there alone. But the boat, the boat where the disciples were in, headed across the water. But the boat was already a considerable distance from land, buffeted by the waves, because the wind was against it. So the disciples are rowing across the lake. And this is something they're good at, by the way. They've done this before. In fact, some of these men made their living on this lake. They knew how to row a boat, even though it was a storm, even though the wind was against them. They're rowing, but they're not making very much progress. But again, they know how to do this. Verse 25. During the fourth watch of the night, which is about 3 o'clock in the morning, pitch dark, late, Jesus went out to them walking on the lake. When the disciples saw him walking on the lake, they were, what's the word? Terrified. When the disciples saw him walking on the lake, they were terrified. It's a ghost, they said, and cried out in fear. Now here's another thing that I love about the Bible. I think it's the thing that gives the Bible so much credibility. If the Bible is just a story, if it's just a fairy tale like so many people try to tell you, it's just a bunch of men sat down and made up this thing, if I'm making it up, if I'm just kind of making it up as I go and I'm writing this story and I start to write myself into the story, I'm going to write myself into the story to look pretty good. What book are we reading from right now? The book of Matthew. Matthew is in the boat. Matthew is rowing hard against the wind. Matthew sees Jesus walking on the water. It's a ghost. Matthew says, we were all terrified. Matthew says, I was terrified. And he doesn't just throw himself under the bus, he throws them all under the bus. John was terrified. James was terrified. Andrew was terrified. We were all terrified. We cried out in fear. What does a bunch of men crying out in fear sound like? You know, it does not sound heroic. If I'm writing myself into the story, I'd write something like, and the disciples saw Jesus walking on the water and they began to chant, Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. And we're rowing hard against the wind and Jesus is walking, we're chanting, Jesus, Jesus. But that's not Matthew. Matthew says, we were terrified. We thought it was a ghost. We were all a bunch of cowards. And I think that makes the Bible so much more believable. Verse 27. Got a little sidetracked there. 
But Jesus immediately said to them, Take courage. It is I. Don't be afraid. And in that moment, in the middle of the night, I think Peter starts to connect some dots. I think Peter starts to think to himself, I'm sort of seeing what's going on here. I think Peter remembers just a couple hours ago, I was standing in front of Jesus, and he said, feed all these people. I can't feed all these people. But Jesus handed me some food, and I turned around, and a miracle happened. And I think Peter is starting to, to think that something's going on here. Jesus is trying to teach us something. Maybe he's trying to teach us that we can do anything that Jesus asks us to do. If we simply do what we know how to do and trust Jesus to do what only he knows how to do. So Peter, I think, decides to put this theory to the test. Verse 28. Lord, if it's you, <laughs> and I'm really hoping it's you. Lord, if it's you, Peter replied, tell me to come to you on the water. And again, I think this is really significant. Notice Peter does not say, hey, that's Jesus. I'm getting out of the boat. I'm walking on water. I've got a great idea. I'm going to do what Jesus is doing. That wouldn't have been a great idea. That would have been really foolish. Peter doesn't say, I've got a great idea. I'm jumping out of the boat. Peter says, Lord, if that's you, invite me to come join you. Peter understands he needs to invite me. I need to know that this is what he wants me to do. I need to know that Jesus is inviting me out of the boat. I need to know that Jesus is calling me out of, out of what I think I can do on my own, or what I'm capable of doing on my own. You know, I don't know exactly how this is going to go. I don't know exactly uh, what might happen, but if Jesus invites me, then I'm going to do what I know how to do, and I'm going to trust him to do what only he knows how to do. And I think there's something very significant in the fact that Peter says, invite me to come to you. I'll join you if I know you want me out there with you. Verse 29. Come, he said. And Peter got down out of the boat, walked on the water, and came towards Jesus. You know what Peter has just done? He's just done exactly what he did a few hours before. He did what he knew how to do, and Jesus did what only he could do. A few hours earlier, Peter takes that basket of food and does what he knows how to do. He turns around and a miracle happens. Now he does what he knows how to do. Peter says, you know, I don't know how to walk on water, but I know how to get out of the boat. And I know how to walk. So I'm going to get out of the boat and I'm going to walk towards Jesus. Trusting Jesus to do what only he could do. You know, to a certain extent, that really is the Christian experience. Us doing what we know how to do and trusting God to do what only he can do. And I will challenge you, I will dare you to pray Peter's prayer this week. God, invite me out of my comfort zone. It's a pretty bold prayer. To pray, God, 
Invite me out of my comfort zone. Invite me to a situation where I don't really feel that I'm capable, that I'm qualified, that I'm comfortable. Call me to do something that maybe I've never attempted before. Invite me to join you where you're working. Well, we know how the, the story ends. But when he saw the wind, he's reminded of what he couldn't do, wasn't he? But when he saw the wind, he was afraid. Beginning to sink, cried out, Lord, save me. Immediately, Jesus reached out his hand and caught him. You of little faith. Again, it's about faith. With Jesus, it's always about faith. Why did you doubt? Jesus says, you started to think about what you could do, didn't you? And you started to forget about what I could do, didn't you? Why did you doubt? And this is one of those stories I would have loved to have been there. I'd have been in the boat <laughs> with the big orange life vest on and holding on to something. But I would have loved to have been there because I would have loved to have heard Jesus' inflection here. Because, and this is just me, and I might be really off base on this, but I'm not so sure that Jesus is really chastising Peter here. Maybe he is. It certainly sounds like it as you read it. But remember, there's 11 guys still in the boat. Peter's the one that got out in the storm and started walking. I'm not so sure that Jesus is chastising Peter because, because Peter almost got it. Peter was so very close. Peter, you asked the right question. You made the right decision. Why did you doubt at the very end? You were so close. Why did you doubt at the very end? And I love the way the story ends. When they climbed into the boat, the wind died down. Then those who were in the boat worshipped him, saying, Truly, you are the Son of God. Truly, you are the Son of God. Okay, we kind of suspected it back there when you know 5,000 people were fed. But boy, we're all in now. You are truly the Son of God. Okay, let's wrap this thing up. Here's the deal. We all... Every single one of us who calls ourselves Christians, we all are beneficiaries of someone who got out of the boat. None of us figured it out on our own. I tell you that all the time. As far as we're concerned, someone got out of the boat for us. Someone said, I'm going to invite that person to church, or I'm going to invite them to my group, or I'm going to invite them out to, to dinner, and we're going to have a conversation. It might be an awkward conversation. Someone taught the class that made an impression on you. Someone made a call. Someone wrote a note. Someone wrote a check. Someone did something that was probably a little bit uncomfortable for them. Someone introduced you to Jesus. And aren't you glad that someone got out of the boat? Maybe it's somebody that you know. Maybe it's a family member. Maybe it's... Maybe it's somebody that you know, you've known all your life. Maybe it's somebody that you, your paths crossed in a very short period of time. Maybe you can remember back to the conversation, where you were standing, what the look on their face looked like when someone did something to introduce you to Jesus. And I bet it wasn't real comfortable for them. But aren't you glad they got out of the boat? So here's the question. Where's God nudging you today? Where do you see a need? A family? 
an individual, a ministry, say somebody ought to do something. Right here, outside our own back door. Where is God nudging you? Maybe you should do something about that. Where is God asking you to serve? Where is God asking you to turn around and feed people with what you have in your hand, even though you know what you have in your hand isn't nearly enough? Where is God nudging you to throw your legs over the side of the boat and start walking, even though you don't know anything about walking on water? Are you willing to do what you know how to do and trust God to do what only He can do? Would you be willing to take the first step? Not because you're ready. And not because you're so talented. But just because God's called you out of the boat. And there's all those things about what other people benefit from when we serve. And I don't want to minimize that at all. But again, I'm not really sure that's the main thing. Because if God wants something done, it's going to get done. I think the real benefit is what happens to our faith and how God uses us and works in us and through us to bless other people. Not so we can say, wow, look what I did, but so we can say, wow, look what God did. Look what God did with my tiny little effort. I never could have done that. Never could have imagined that happening. Are you willing to do what you know how to do and trust God to do what only He can do. This morning, if we can encourage you, pray with you, pray for you in any way, anything going on in your life, there's a family uh, we can address. Give me some people here at the front. We've got a song we're going to use, a song of encouragement. Join us at the front. Let's stand and sing. Open my heart.